Welcome back to episode four of Equanimity. Today, we're all in with fear. Imagine stepping into a fight with everyone you know watching. Your mind is racing, but in the end, there are really only two outcomes. You win or you lose. The metaphor of this fight can be played out on so many levels, but there is one feeling that is universal. Fear. It's quite literally something that Ramona Pasquale, our guest today, has had to face time and time again as a professional MMA or mixed martial arts fighter. We are not our thoughts and emotions and being able to separate myself from all the fears and all the doubts and being like, all right, that is a part of me, but that's not who I am. Last year, Ramona became the first female from Hong Kong to compete in the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship in Las Vegas. Known for fighters like Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey, the ultimate global stage. Her story is one lined with determination and success, but also defeat. The feeling of failure, which I felt time and time and time again, is so heartbreaking and so hurtful in the moment, but given time, and it's always time where you look back and be like, that was good for me. How many of us let the fear of failure prevent us from even stepping into the ring to fight? Or when you fall or fail, which everyone does, how do you pick yourself up again? For Ramona, fighting is what she loves, and you'll hear it too. It's a journey that has taken her on incredible highs, but gut-wrenching heartbreaks. So how does she ride through it? A quick note, this conversation was recorded at a pivotal junction for Ramona, coming out of three losses as a UFC fighter. So we're looking back at her career and all the accolades she's accomplished, while also looking forward with the possibility that she may not have another UFC fight. It makes this conversation all the more powerful. Ramona, welcome to Equanimity. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're joining us from Vegas, Las Vegas. And you have, during COVID, been training with the UFC. That's correct, yes. So as a professional athlete and someone that is even more so a combat fighter, you've spoken a lot about the power of fear and quite literally the power of it, as opposed to what most people think of is quite dehabilitating and really crushing that sort of feeling of fear. How have you cultivated that relationship with fear? So a lot of it comes down to the way that you frame certain situations. For people who say have a fear, more notable things like failure of wanting to do something or having a certain interest, having a certain passion, but being held back because, well, there's the fear that I will fail. There's a fear of your reputation, of knowing that people are going to see you fall flat in your face. So not only will you know that you failed, everyone else is going to know that you failed because you've put yourself out there. It's like, if I make a mistake, I could frame it as, oh my gosh, shameful. I'm so, you know, upset that I messed up or kind of look at it as I've just collected all this data from this mistake that I made. and Therefore I can grow and build upon what I've just done and have a better understanding of whatever it is that I'm trying to do. I think that failure is probably the biggest thing that deters us from going after something because the feeling of failure, which I felt time and time and time again, is is so heartbreaking and so hurtful in the moment. And But given time, and it's always time where you look back and be like, that was good for me. And so having that fear is also somewhat of an opportunity because you're like, all right, there's just something that is making me feel a certain way. And it's making me feel a certain way, probably because it matters to me. And that's where you convert fear to, to faith, to having hope, yeah. to being able to achieve something. And you're someone who's definitely, you know, sort of used that energy conversion. But time and time again, you've been at these checkpoints of fear and just looking at your like life and your career trajectory as a third party, it's so obvious that you've catalyzed that fear into forward momentum. You had graduated college and you were in the finance industry and you had this sort of passion for fighting. Tell me, talk to me a little bit about how you sort of converted that checkpoint into your life and really took a sort of detour. 
that would have begun with having expectations of myself that I allowed other people to set for me that I knew, well, actually unconsciously knew that wasn't really for me, but because consciously all I could here was, you know, you got to go to this school and then you got to go to that school and then you got to graduate with this degree and then you got to get this job and then everyone else is going to have this similar job. And so you grow up thinking, yeah, that's what I need to do as well. And there's nothing, nothing to deviate from that. You know, there aren't really any opportunities or options outside of that. And like at that point, you were really hitting all those check marks, right? Like we went to a great high school together. Um, You went to USC. Mm-hmm. And you graduated from USC, you got like a really good job. Like you're really at this point hitting the tick, tick, tick. Yeah, exactly. Because it was, you know, you, you're valued by how well you're able to check these boxes. Yeah. And then that was kind of how I saw it too. And that's just really one perspective of things. So I bought into that perspective. And for many years, that's what I tried to devote myself to all the while knowing that I had these passions and these interests that were really quite different and almost polar opposites to that path. And there was no way of me bridging the gap between the two. These and passions so I just chose fighting. Correct. And so I just chose to ignore it really and just keep it on the back burner. I was about 27 when I was, you know, working in this financial services company, thinking that I wanted to be in finance and realizing how unsexy the whole thing was and how I just wasn't cut out for it. And then the whole time I was doing, doing martial arts, I would work, I'd be like be in the gym, like before work, I'd be the gym after work, or if I couldn't do that, I'd do it at lunch. And so, so much of my time and effort was going into training. And I wasn't aware of the fact that I was really putting in hours towards a future career it was really just because I enjoyed it. I loved it. I felt like it was a way that I could express myself. I just forgot about the world and just having the time in my life. And then on the other side, there's this inner voice that's like, oh, you know, like these girls are starting to fight, like, you know, females are, it's it's a really, it's a large, uh, it's a growing market. And a lot of girls are now fighting now, especially the UFC has included a female division. Um, there could be something here. Like I, I'd love to, but oh, what am I going to tell my parents or my peers or what are people going to think? Like that's a bit ridiculous. It got to a point though where that voice was just so loud that I couldn't ignore it. I decided to quit my job and just give it a shot. Not because I wanted to be a fighter and make it to the UFC. Not not at all. That wasn't even something that I actually thought about. It was really because I'm so curious this burning curiosity for combat sports and what it would feel like to step into an octagon and fight with those four ounce gloves in one of the fastest growing sports in the world, which I often watch just as a spectator, but not as a practitioner. It's so interesting that you said that when you decided that you wanted to become a fighter professionally, your goal wasn't the UFC. It was just like, let me just try this. Because I feel like most people who want to make a sport a career, they think of, okay, what's the most money I can make out of this? How can I be successful? We're kind of trained to see it that way. But for you, it's really just been like one step at a time, adding to the dream one step at a time until you actually really did make it to the UFC. Yeah, I think the people that are motivated by things like money, status, and the glamour behind certain industries probably don't truly understand what it takes to get there. And the fact that these people who are there were focused solely on the process and the byproduct was the destination. And I feel like that's something that I still struggle with to this day, because it's so easy for us to get caught up with where we want to be, that we forget that the whole reward is really the path it takes us to get there, because there's such short moments in time. It's like a person wins an award or a person, um, you know, a headline makes this amount of money or a person signs this contract you see that moment that happens and that's that success, that point, but you don't see, you know, the, the 
bottom of the iceberg, which is like all the effort that it took to get them there, all the failures, all the heartbreaks. And so often the process, which is less emphasized, unfortunately, is the part that should be looked at the closest. Right. And if we look at your process, from my perspective, I remember, you know, being in Hong Kong and everyone's Instagram around my like echo chamber of Hong Kong was like, oh, my God, tune into Ramona's first fight in the UFC. And there was like everyone was posting about it. And it was such a success story. If we look at that being like a top of an iceberg, what was the bottom of that? So it was a lot of a lot of having to deal with my own insecurities and self-doubt because There wasn't really anyone that paved this path, made it this far from where we came from. So for me to try to make it work in a sport that isn't heavily supported in Hong Kong was difficult. So I won my first two fights and then I lost my next two. One of them being a belt that this promoter was like, all right, you're going to fight for the belt. It's going to be our first like female belt and you're going to win it. And it's all going to be great. And I pretty much shit the bed, you know, lost the fight. And making mistakes, mistakes that I would like to believe that I would not make now, knowing what I know now. But going in there, just being so confident and having the whole city behind me and you're fighting at home and all your friends are watching and everyone's talking about it and you're feeling all, you know, jazzed up only to get like caught in an arm bar or like TKO'd in like a ground and pound, you know, in front of like all these people that really wanted me to win or believe that I would win. And in that moment, seeing her hand gets get raised and then wanting to just teleport from the cage to the changing room and not have to look anyone in the eye and being so distraught and upset. Like this is, this is so bad. And I was like really down on myself, just knowing that I had the potential to do so much better, but wasn't able to truly show it in any of my fights up until that point. The whole idea that I kept thinking about was wanting to reach my potential, you know, and the biggest regret that I would have was not ever seeing that through. But that also means like seeing where my ceiling is, meaning there's going to be a point in time where I just am not able to go further. And there's a part of me that wants to know, but also a part of me that's afraid of knowing because then I'll know that I have a limit yeah. rather than never going for it being like oh yeah i have a limit i don't know where it is probably really high like who knows and we'll never know and then yeah it's just a bit of luck you know ended up getting this opportunity from this korean promotion that saw me and was like all right we want to sign you but you know you're kind of coming off two losses so we don't know how promising you're going to be but why don't you come over and do a bit of training and then we can kind of decide from there and so i went for it never lived anywhere besides hong kong in the u.s where like I speak the language. I have family. I have friends. Like now I'm going to go over there where I don't know anyone. I don't speak the language. A lot of people in Korea don't actually speak English to go to a gym where, you know, none of my teammates spoke English. And the Korea stint was a lot harder than I anticipated. And, you know, lo and behold, I trained. I learned a whole bunch. I put myself through a lot went in there and got my ass kicked by all these, you know, pro guys. And then eventually I got signed. And so that kind of opened my mind to, you know, how much more am I willing to suffer for this to attain what I want, which is that that feeling of overcoming something that you didn't think you were capable of, but that you always wanted to. And then coming out the other side being like, wow, that was, that was pretty crazy. That's crazy. After that win in Korea, Went to Thailand, was training for my next fight, and it was going to be even bigger fight and bigger names, bigger venue, you know, a lot more media. And then two weeks before I blow up my knee, you know, totally tear ligament, dislocate my kneecap, can't even walk. And so that was it for me going from getting ready to fight, you know, being at the best shape I've ever been in my life to like not being able to, you know, walk or like sit on the toilet or tie my shoes like without pain grapple with such intense highs and such low lows like you know you're in korea and you're going you're suffering so much you really kind of don't have anyone to speak to but you're training you're doing what you love and then you finally like make it and you get this win and you feel so amazing that you've made this win and now you're in thailand and you're in your moment and you're like okay it's only uphill from here and then bam you dislocate your dislocate your knee or yeah. And yeah, it was like, 
what are you thinking during this time? You know, it's so interesting that you said that you can measure how much you love what you're doing through the suffering that you're going through and how much you're willing to suffer. Hmm. This sounds like a lot of suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like everyone kind of has, you know, something that they really love enough to suffer for because everything involves some kind of suffering, some kind of overcoming obstacles that you're not going to anticipate that are going to break your heart and going to make you want to quit. And that was one of those things where I was on cloud nine, I was coming off a high and you think, wow, momentum's built. It's only going to get better from here. It's going to be linear. It's like the universe knows sometimes like things are going real well. Like, you know, you're ready for your next challenge. And I blow out my knee and then everything just comes crashing down. I'm like distraught, you know, at the time it happened, I was like bawling, but I wasn't bawling because of the pain. Obviously it hurt. I was more so upset about the fact that I knew that the fight was going to be off and that I wouldn't be able to continue with the contract that I'd signed for this event, but also just, is this it? It was like, oh my God, this is freaking terrible, but I'm going to make it my job to recover from this and come back. Like there was just something so, in you that knew that this wasn't the end. Like, did you feel that? Did you, did you know that this may be a setback, but it's not, it cannot be the end. hundred percent at the time for a good three, four months. Like it was just depressing. There's bouts of depression, you know, starting crying out of the middle of nowhere, just being so distraught of a lost opportunity that could have been because at that point, it's like something happens, you're, trajectory is changing in your path. You're just going a different way than what you expected. You're already on this path, but you keep looking over your shoulder at this path that you want to be on. That doesn't really exist, but you're sort of still holding on to this make-believe situation in which this would have happened. And I would have fought in Beijing and I would have won that fight. And then I would have gained even more momentum and be, you know, an even bigger, um, be at a higher status in the sport than I was but that that's done now. That possibility was never reality. And then that's sort of that disconnect between these two thoughts is often in that gap where the doubt and the fear and the depression is because you're not accepting where you actually are, but you're still stuck on where you hoped you would be. And that has happened to me numerous times from injury but also from losses. And the more you experience it doesn't make it easier to go through, but you have the awareness at a certain point to know that this is going to hurt for two months, maybe in four, but after a certain amount of time has passed and after I've walked my new path for enough time and seen the opportunities available, I'll be able to look back at that and look at the lessons that I've been able to learn and the things that I've been able to draw from it. Yeah. So you learn from it, but you'll never forget how it felt. That's so powerful. And I think that just genuinely happens to so many people, albeit probably in less of a frequency that you have to deal with it as a fighter. But it's this idea that you build your hopes and your dreams and you're really like building this momentum on this goal or this idea that you're working towards. And then in an instant, it disappears or that dream goal bubble bursts and how to get that courage and the motivation and to overcome the fear to start building it in a different trajectory is so powerful. What's going through your like mental state in order to be like, OK, let's start again. Yeah. And that brings me back to the whole, you know, results versus process. Our default is to focus on these results because these results measure us. That's how we're measured externally. And it's these results that unfortunately contribute to the opportunities that we further have in certain careers. However, if you focus so much on that, that's where things start falling apart because then you're so attached to certain things having to go a certain way. We're going to have a lifetime, you know, knock on wood that we live, you know, entire lifespan of what, say, 100 years now with technology and everything, maybe even longer than that. And my career is going to be a fraction of that. You know, it's going to be what, at most 10 years. And this is maximum, probably less than that. Let's say like maybe eight, eight years out of 100. 
am I really going to base my entire existence on eight years? And never mind even eight years, 99% of those eight years have been, you know, the process, practicing, meeting people, looking at things from a different perspective, overcoming adversity and all the, everything that the sport has exposed me to and all the things that I've been able to gain because the rewards are so massive. But there's that like 1% of the eight years that have been like the results, the results, the wins and the losses. And how long is a fight? 15 minutes at most. And if I choose to base the way that I see myself, I say, I've had a bad year. Last year was a tough year. It was a bad year. It's like, why? Oh, because I, I lost three fights in a row, which is like, no one ever wants to lose three fights in a row. Like that is just losing one fight. Like your world falls apart, you know, lose three fights in a row. People start asking, oh, is this meant for you? Like, maybe you should do something else. Or then you're like, oh my God, like, you know, am I letting these out? external opinions really affect the way that I, I see myself, but how I choose to see myself is really up to me. And so am I really going to accumulate these four fights that I've had? So say, you know, four and a half minutes plus two fifteens, 40 minutes or so, I'm going to base the success of my year on 40 minutes. That's ridiculous. Yet we do that because those 40 minutes were on this global stage where everyone got to look and watch and judge you and that everyone has an opinion and a comment about because only in those minutes did you really put yourself out there but all the effort that you put in all the other minutes of the year that are truly more important in a measure of your my character and my success is really how my year went and that is what i need to focus on and it takes a lot of time to really properly look at my priorities and the things that really matter to me in the grand scheme of things, it's a work in progress, it but so it's just something amazing. that I just have to, you know, no, I, I constantly I, remind myself of. I want to talk about defeat because we all go through it in everyone's life. You have to get to those so-called fights um, that you don't always win. Like they're, they're, Everyone experiences losses. It's just that you're doing it on a literal global stage. You know, you, people are watching you get defeated does it get easier it absolutely doesn't get easier every single fight you put all of yourself into it no stone is left unturned you're preparing for anywhere between you know six to eight to twelve weeks they put in all this effort not just preparing for that specific fight but for this entire career like in MMA, there is no off season. And then you're also dieting because you're trying to get to a weight division. You know, you're trying to stick to your weight division. You could be trying to lose anywhere between five to 10 pounds over a six week period. And then after that, you're going to lose an additional like 10 to 15 pounds in that one week of fight week, you know, that dehydration and, you know, the weight's going to have to come from somewhere and you will deplete yourself so far, certain things that just, that you just give up because you're trying to make this weight, which is like a totally different, you know, part and parcel of the sport. And that's like what a lot of people call um, the first fight is the weight cut because it's hard. You've depleted your body so much, you know, with dieting and everything, but it's almost like your mind becomes so much sharper because you've just suffered so much. If you think about like, like you torture an animal, you know, and this animal just becomes so aggressive and it just wants to get out there and it's just going to tear apart the first thing that comes in its way, you know? I feel like fight camp is kind of a little bit like that. Like if you have an easy camp where you don't really, you're not really pushed, you're not really pushed to the edge of like losing your mind or like, you know, having certain weight cuts, you kind of go in there, you're comfortable, your belly's full, you're, you don't have that, like, I need to fight for my life kind of thing. So there's an element of the suffering that you go through that gives you just this like jolt and you've already worked on your physical on your mental, on your emotional, you've done everything you can, the training, the nutrition, the recovery, the sleep, the, uh, the visualization, you know, the inner talk, the mental exercises, the weight cut, you've put all this into it and you're like, so ready, so ready to win this fight. And you go in there and you're fighting and then you come up short and you lose and it's 50, 50, one person wins, one person loses. There's no first place, second place, third place. It's just either win, lose, 
when you win, you're like absolutely on top of the world because you're like, man, everything I fought for, everything I suffered for came down to this moment and I did it and I persevered and it feels amazing. When you lose though, and you've put everything you can into it, you know, and you didn't lose because you took shortcuts. You didn't lose because you didn't give it your all. You gave it your all, you worked your ass off and you still lost. And this whole thing that people tell you, you just got to work hard and you'll get anything you want is false in a sense, because there are certain things that just don't go your way due to circumstances that are outside of your control. But what I guess they mean is really in the entirety of your entire life. You know, you keep working through something. Eventually you're going to succeed at something that you're meant to be doing. And it could be totally different to what you initially set out for in the first place. But dealing with defeat and stepping out of that cage, knowing you've lost is such a surreal feeling. And I just remember every time just putting myself down, like already I've already lost, but even more, I'm like, fuck, you suck. Like you're not good enough. Like you, you were set up to do everything right. And, and, and you just couldn't pull through. Like you let everyone down, you let yourself down, you let everyone around you down. And what my coach always says, a loss is it's a loss. It's almost like someone's died. Like a part of yourself has died because a part of yourself that you have believed in, because you have to believe in yourself, you have to believe that you're going to win. And so coming out of it, losing is like, how do I believe in myself now? Because I'm not the person that I believe this whole time to be. Now I'm this other person. And who is this other person? I don't know. Like it's literally going to take me months to get to know this person because I'm kind of having to relearn all these different things. It's like now I'm the person that lost that fight. Now I'm the person that's lost two fights in a row. Now I'm the person that's lost three fights in a row. And now I'm the person that's gotten released by the UFC and is no longer working with the company that I've wanted to work with for so long. And now I have to get to know that person, you know, and not the person I truly believed that I would be the person who I believed would win fights, win more fights than she's lost, get a second contract with UFC. And it's like, all of that is no longer, it's like crumbled down. How do I navigate that? How do I navigate the death of the person that I'd hoped to be? And it was, it's so hard because I know that life is more than just this. Life is more than just this one year, this one fight, this 15 minutes, and these three fights combined. Yet, it doesn't take away or prevent me from feeling like lesser of a person. It doesn't prevent me from some days not even wanting to get out of bed, not even wanting to see people, feeling so down on myself that I'm just paralyzed from really getting anything done, you know, of thinking, what is all this for? Everything that I've put into this, all the injuries, the surgeries, you know, the broken bones, the torn ligaments, you know, the getting punched in the head, like all these things that accumulate all the effort that the, the weight cuts that I've done, you know, coming close to dying and like dehydrating myself, starving myself. I did it all. I did everything that I was supposed to do and it wasn't enough. Who am I? What am I doing here? What now? And like, why this, you know, and, and, and all of this is just feeling so sorry for myself because like, how can you not, how can you not feel so down? You know, you've put all your chips in here. You've done everything right. At just like, you know, everyone's told you to do, you put your trust in the right people and it wasn't enough. And so I feel not enough. And what am I worthy of? Am I not worthy? You know, how do I measure that now? And there's just so much chatter and it's all in my head between these two ears. It's like our biggest enemy, right? It's not anything outside. It's not the fact that anyone thinks I'm not good enough for, you know, maybe there are people that feel that, but they don't spend hours of their day thinking about it. It's such a passing thing of like, they could say that about me and they could say that about a hundred other fighters and it means nothing to them, you know? But to me, I'm sitting there stewing about it for like days, hours, weeks, months, and unable to get myself out of this funk, you know, maybe the fact that I only saw myself as a fighter was an issue and didn't allow me to see the bigger picture because there's nothing else to focus on. So yeah, to answer your question, it's, it doesn't get easier, but I think the more you experience defeat, the better you'll be at navigating the bigger picture. So 
really important to organize your thoughts and emotions because everyone has thoughts and emotions. A lot of times they can be negative, but we are not our thoughts and emotions, even though we have them and being able to separate myself from all the fears and all the doubts and being like, all right, that is a part of me, but that's not who I am. What has defeat as a fighter and like in the octagon taught you about yourself and how kind of who you are in light of defeat? You know, looking at your character or looking at the things that you've learned about defeat beyond fighting. My relationship to myself. I think a lot of times we believe that we have a really good relationship with ourselves and that often comes from a state of comfort or a state from a state of um, success. So if everything's going well and we're not being challenged tremendously, it's easy to be kind to ourselves and think, oh, you're, you're doing a good job. You're on the right track. You're putting a really good effort in this. But after you go through defeat is when you truly know your relationship with yourself and the things that you tell yourself and what you allow to get to you and get through your, you know, your shield um, into your soul. And I feel like the thing that defeat has taught me is that I need to work on my relationship to myself. And that also ties in with my relationship to others, because a lot of times your relationship to yourself will dictate your relationship to others, right? The, the way that we criticize other people is actually the way that we would criticize ourselves or that we've been taught to criticize ourselves. So I would say that's been the biggest takeaway and something that I continue to to uh, reflect on. It's like these years of you as a professional MMA fighter is like this in incredible physical and mental training that's like this express training in life taking those lessons beyond just your career as an athlete i want to talk about training though um we've alluded to it so much and what has that been like i mean like the physical training and then also the mental training the when i first started off and you know on the surface every time we watch sports we think oh it's physical because you know obviously everyone's just like it's an activity you know you're trying to win points you're trying to score you're trying to you know win the fight win the game win the match and you know all you see is like i said the 50 minutes or however long a game is but everything that goes into it is really it's mental because because you could know all the techniques you could be a crazy, incredible athlete. You could have strength, power, you know, speed. And then they get into the fight in the cage and they shit the bed, you know, M mentally, they just, they can't get going. They just can't access all the things that they have, all the tools that they have. So a lot of it is mental. And I would say like 90% mental only because even though so much of what we do is physical, it doesn't matter if you can't access that. So in the beginning of my career, I was all focused on the physical side. You know, how do I get stronger? How do I get faster? How do I learn more skills? And how do I learn more techniques? And I would hammer away at those, not really understanding the accessibility portion, the bridge that will connect what you know to what you can show. Mm. And I think that came a lot later in my career. So you go into a training session, it could be like an hour long. You've got certain rounds. And each round is usually five minutes, five minute round, one minute rest, five minute round, one minute rest. Each round you go with different people. If you go with one person, you're kicking this person's ass. You're like, oh, I got this kicking their ass, feeling good, feeling good. You rest for the minute. You find somebody else who's like a lot better and they start kicking your ass. And all of a sudden you're like, what the hell? Like I was just, I'm supposed to be good today. And they're kicking your ass, kicking your ass, ragdolling you. And then you're like thinking about the fact that they're ragdolling you and that perpetuates even more mistakes because you're then not in the moment anymore. You're thinking about how you made a mistake. And if you're constantly letting, carrying and like thinking about these mistakes, you're not in the moment. If you're not in the moment, you're not able to access the things that you know because you're not making the right decisions. And so that's in a training context, but it could also be in a fight context, you know, because it's like, it's so easy when a fight starts, one person totally dominates and it's so easy for this other person to just feel so disheartened and just let it get to them. And now they're just like, I lost that round. I'm losing this fight. And it's a slippery slope from losing this fight to I've already lost. Mm. And you start the second round 
And this person's already being defensive and afraid of what this person is going to do rather than thinking about what they're supposed to do. And there are moments where that happens, where it's like you just break down someone's confidence to where they're just not themselves anymore. And you just capitalize on that. Yeah, it's like you are on the other. You're banking on their fear taking over. Exactly. Well, on the other side of the coin is like if you've exercised enough of the mental preparedness of that moment of knowing that, okay, this could happen. I could be down around brand new page, clean slate. I'm going to forget that even happened. We're going to go into this fresh start because if you bring in anything from that previous round into the next round, it's going to mess you up. And the whole idea is to just be as calm as possible. And so how do you get yourself to that state even when everything's chaotic? I think it's so apt, even again, beyond training, is that in life, you know, you you will be dealt losses or moments of defeat. And how do you let go? How do you reset, as you say? How do you kind of compartmentalize, take it for what it is, and then move on to the next without letting that fear take over and crippling you? Um, And I really like what you said about you might be losing in this moment, but that doesn't mean you've lost. And if you sort of hold on to the fear of losing in this moment, it will turn into long-term loss and how do you detach the two exactly and it's kind of exactly like you know the way that i see these fights you know my career now it's like am i gonna look at this fight and just let it dictate everything you know or am i gonna look at it learn from it and just you know keep it in the rear view and then it's like now now we're, we're working with a blank page you know and it's only with a blank page that we can keep moving forward Because if we keep going back and looking at, you know, looking at the rear view, we're not looking where we're going. It's like you're reading a book and you read a chapter. You don't like how it went. You read it again. You don't like how it went. You read it again. You're like, no, this can't, this can't be going this way because I don't want it. You know, I want it to go a different way. It's like, no, you go on to the next chapter and you go on to the next chapter, you know, dwell in the past long enough to learn from your mistakes, but not to let it define you. Because I, you know, that's, that's kind of the default if we don't prevent that from happening. Yeah, and it brings it back to what you said previously, which is the past is already gone. You know, that path has disappeared and it's up to you as a person to forge forward. And are you going to spend your current path looking back at something that doesn't exist? Or are you going to then decide to build a new one, decide to put the next building block and move forward? And that's really powerful, that mentality of reset. Reset. Go again. Yeah. And and do it as many times as it takes. You know, it's not going to be just one. Oh, OK. Clean slate. We're going to keep going. But also know that when too much too much time has gone by, you know, and then there comes a certain point where you just have to take responsibility and decide, all right, we're going to switch gears. I'm really curious about being female in the MMA. I was totally shocked that females didn't actually participate in the UFC until 2013. For the longest time, uh, women were not allowed to compete in the UFC. And there was, you know, a statement issued by the president at the time that said, you know, women will never fight in the UFC. And then I think like less than a year later, he signed his first female fighter. And, uh, you know, that would be the pioneer, Ronda Rousey. That was the reason that women are in the UFC today. In that sense, there's also less women who are fighting because it is a male dominated sport. And coming up when I was training in Hong Kong, um, in Korea, in Thailand, there would be times where it would just be me and one other girl or potentially just me. And so I'm training with guys. So I would say, you know, it's it's an interesting place to be for a female, um, especially now while it's growing. Yeah, it's been really fun to kind of be where I am. And it's like beyond the opportunities too, though, it's like what you mentioned about the fact that UFC, like it, it's all about weight class and the idea of like cutting your weight, just fluctuating in weight in such a fast way. What does that do to body image, to, you know, just kind of femininity, those sort of aspects of being a female? Yeah. Well, the question I get a lot is like, oh, but you're a girl. Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you ruin your face? You know, like, aren't you worried? Um, And I think once you're a female and you decide you're going to give this sport a shot, like that's really the last thing on your mind, honestly. 
And on top of that, it's like, you have to stick to a certain weight class. And so there is a lot of emphasis on weight. So it's not uncommon for you to just show up to practice. And then coach is like, what's your weight? You know, whereas like in a normal situation, if anyone came up to you and was like, how much do you weigh? You'd be like, what, why? Like, that's totally inappropriate. Like, why would you, you know, yeah, like, it's, no it's kind of like a taboo yeah. kind of yeah. thing, especially for women. Right. But it is so part of the sport that it's like totally normal for my coach to be like, how much do you weigh? Or my teammates, you know, to be like, what's your weight now? And I just like tell them, oh, I'm here. You know, it's like, how much weight do you have to lose? Oh, my eight pounds. What's the most amount um, of weight that you've had to lose in the fastest period of time? Uh, the most weight that I've lost in a... 24 hour period would be 10 and a half pounds. How yeah. are you losing five kilos in 24 hours? Um, there's a lot that goes into it in sort of the days leading up to it. So, you know, you have your dieting that goes on all throughout camp, right? And that's really just being in a caloric deficit. And then on the week of the fight, there's things that you manipulate. So you manipulate sodium because sodium causes your body to hold water. So if you cut out sodium, your body, you're dehydrating your body, you know, which is not healthy and you cut out fiber. So when you have fiber, not in your body, like all your gut contents are like flushed out. So you cut fiber, you cut carbohydrates because carbohydrates also carry water. So the idea is you're trying at that point to lose weight, not through body fat. You're not gonna be able to lose body fat in such a short period of time. So what you're losing is water weight. That's where it all comes from. You're giving yourself just enough fuel to like for your bodily functions to just operate normally as, as only as they can at that point. And then the 24 hours before you weigh in, that's when you kind of start to cut weight. So say you're fighting on Saturday, you're going to weigh in on Friday morning, right? Usually the day before. So you have all day to recover. So you're going to weigh in Friday morning. And then on Thursday, the day before is when you start cutting weight. And so on the Wednesday night is when you have your last drink of water and then you're done. No more water. Every movement is slower because my body is basically trying to conserve all the energy it can. So it doesn't want me to do things, you know, and it's unconsciously these things will just start happening. And then you start your cut at night and that's when you start, you know, having to sweat out as much as you can. So you're wearing the sauna suit and you're like, you know, hitting on the bike or you're running or like you're hitting pads. So you get the sweat going and then you get in the sauna and you're basically in the sauna or a hot tub but like hot, like not relaxing, like hot to point where you're dizzy. You're like so tired. You feel so weak. Like if someone were to rob you, they just rob you to a point where you have to get lifted off this chair into the sauna. And then you're laying there and then someone's lifting you out of the sauna onto the chair. So like you're in the sauna where I would normally, I sweat a lot. So I sit in the sauna, I'm like dripping, but I'm in the sauna. Everyone else is like drenched, dripping, and I'm barely sweating, but my body is hot. And so I'm basically overheating. So my body is like, fuck, we're dying. It's so hot in here. We're not going to let her like lose any more sweat because like we need this to survive. Anything we could possibly hold on to, we're just going to hold on to. So there are methods of like, you put on this like sweet sweat. That's just like lotion that helps you sweat a little bit more. You know, you got to sauna and then you wrap up in a mummy so you're outside of the sauna now but then you, you're like your whole body's covered so that it's like stopping any airflow so that you're continue to sweat and your body's like still hot it could be anywhere from like a couple hours to like all night but and this can't be good for your body it's terrible <laughs> it is so bad for you like and hearing myself yeah you're like literally initiating the process of dying for 24 hours and hearing myself say this it sounds so ridiculous because whenever i talk about it i'm always talking about it to other fighters and it's so normal yeah and we're exchanging stories like oh yeah this one time i had to cut 15 pounds oh my god it was the hardest thing ever i was like throwing up and then someone had dragged me into the sauna and then a thousand to die and then i had to go to the hospital but it's like so standard to people in the industry that we don't think twice about it even though it's it's ridiculous that you do this 24 hours before you're supposed to fight yeah but it's just so normalized that you just don't think twice I mean I really messed myself up with that cut and you know I, I never talked about it really like on my social media or anything like that because you know you're kind of like oh I don't really want to play up to like excuses as to like why things didn't go your way but it logically affected my performance the day after because I just never felt right after that. 
I remember warming up feeling absolutely terrible. And I was like, hopefully my adrenaline will kick in and nothing's going to matter. And I could just, you know, go for it. And I just couldn't get going. I couldn't even get in the second gear. And I walked out of that cage. It was a sense of relief that it was all over. The whole pressure, the weight cut, feeling like shit, the getting into that octagon, having to fight the biggest fight of my entire career where my my contract hung in the balance. This was your third. You know, and I had to, UFC. this is my third fight. And yeah, and I knew, UFC. I already knew. Yeah. And I knew that if I lost that fight, I would get cut. I knew that everyone knew that. So then it was just more riding on it. And then it, after it happened, it was like almost a bandaid that had been ripped off and not, not, not in a sense where I wanted to be out. I just wanted it to be over. And it was just this weird feeling of like disappointment you know, walking out of that cage, being like, this is the last time I'm going to be fighting this cage, you know, wearing these gloves, wearing this fight kit. But at the same time being like, I just put myself through hell. I just damn near killed myself to make it here and make this work. And it, and, and it just didn't work out. And, and that's that. There's nothing more I could, I could do. This might sound like a rhetorical question, but we spent so much time talking about like defeat, the weight cutting, the challenges, like the really like, absolute toll and stress that you're putting on your body. But just taking a step back, what do you love about fighting? There's so many layers to answer this question. And initially it was really for the love of martial arts, the actual art itself. I fell in love with Muay Thai when I was 16 and something about the intensity of the effort, you know, that really pushed me so hard, but also the different techniques, you know, there's so many different ways you can throw a jab. There's so many different ways you can set up a cross and it's all about efficiency. So you're trying to be more efficient with how to take this person down, how to throw this punch as quickly as possible or how to execute a certain move. And so all these things coming together, it's, Obviously something that I'm so passionate about and that I can nerd out on like all day, you know, the act of learning and growing and problem solving. And that's on the technical side that really stimulates me mentally, but also on the physical side, I'm freaking getting stronger. I was able to discover my potential physically as a human and what I can, what I'm capable of. And also on the mental side, it's just overcoming things it's you know like you said dealing with the obstacles it's difficult and it's ugly but on the other side what i learn and what i gain from it what i'm able to reflect on and talk about and share with people is so valuable you're really making me think about what do i love so much that i'd be able to suffer that much to achieve what passion do i have that the act of suffering is no longer really suffering. It's just kind of the process of getting there. And it's just like something that is so evident in your journey of, you know, the suffering is just a byproduct or something to overcome to a greater goal or a greater purpose. Yeah, 100%. What would you sort of tell the girl who's at 27 on the precipice of making this decision to leave her finance career and kind of that checklist life? What advice from this journey or from defeat, from win, from the suffering, from the gains, what do you reflect back on? I would say don't overthink it. Listen to your gut. Whatever it is that inner voice is trying to tell you that you can't hide from, it's worth pursuing out of curiosity, not because you know what's going to happen, because there's literally no guarantee what's going to come of it. And the whole point of going after something is not knowing what might happen. But if you have the resources to do it and to make that decision, definitely go for it. So don't overthink it. Just put one foot in front of the other and take it literally day by day or even hour by hour. Also really important to know that if you decide that you want to do something and you want to commit yourself to something, you want to achieve something, understand that there's a guarantee that you will lose and that you will have your heart broken and that there will be a point on that path where you are going to question yourself and you're going to break down and you're not going to want to do it anymore. It's going to change the way that you see life and yourself and you're going to feel down. And you're going to feel worse than you've ever felt in your life because perhaps it's the first time you ever had to fight for something that's meant anything to you. 
but expect that that will happen. But always, and this isn't in my experience, every time you've hit a low, it leads to higher and the higher high leads to lower low. And it just keeps going. And then your, you know, bandwidth of experience just expands and expands and expands. And kind of that's the point, right? Because then you're still on this upward trajectory. If you take the average, you have to appreciate those peaks for what they are and don't take it for granted, but also don't let that define you because you're going to hit a valley that's going to destroy you. And then that's not going to be able to define you either. So just one foot in front of the other, you know. Even with taking the first step, the only guarantee is that at some point you'll experience a sense of loss. It's almost like the win isn't that guaranteed, but there will be heartbreak. That is almost guaranteed. There's yeah, a quote please. in that book, um, Mark Manson's uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah. I'll never forget this line. He goes, the path to success is filled with shit heaps and shame. It's so true. You know, we started this conversation talking about your relationship to fear. And now that we've come full circle and you've kind of gone down memory lane and reflected about your journey and where you are right now, what are some of your closing thoughts about fear? Fear is something that we all have. And it's not something that we should sweep under the rug or try to subdue or try to deny you know, the whole pretending it's not there actually perpetuates even more fear and insecurity. The more familiar you are and the better relationship you have with yourself and with the things that hold you back. So your fears, your insecurities, your deficiencies, the better you can manage them and navigate them in a sense where you acknowledge that they exist and you can kind of put them in a compartment, you know, and keep them there. And then you can take your focus elsewhere. Looking at fear as sort of the existence of the fact that you care so much to be fearful is that you're on to something right, that you are on the right yeah. track. hundred percent. Have fear, have faith. Because, you know, the kind of opposite ends of the coin, but at the same time, it's like you have to have fear to have faith in something, you know? So have the fear, familiarize yourself with it, and then you channel that because energy can be destroyed. It can only be converted. So you can just as easily convert fear into faith if you have the right tools and you have the right mindset and the perspective to do so. Ramona, thank you so much for such an enlightening conversation. And I'm really excited to watch how you populate your next blank page. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the platform and the time. I really appreciate it. We often look at fear through such a negative lens. But as Ramona puts it, what if facing fear is the process of reframing that energy into faith? Letting that feeling of fear ride through you because it's just a sign that you're onto something great. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow us on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. And follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at four underscore equanimity, four as in F-O-R, not the number. We'll be sharing a lot of tidbits, behind the scenes, and more about our upcoming conversations. But for now, that's a wrap. Catch you next time.